Well, good morning again. Welcome to Oakton. And uh, if you are new with us this morning, I want to extend a warm welcome to you. What we do here at Oakton is we sing some worship songs, we exalt Jesus, and then we open up the Bible and we seek to learn from the Bible. And this morning we are studying through the book of Colossians in the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Colossians and get them out in front of you. If you didn't bring a Bible, we have Bibles in the seats in front of you, and you can take out one of those black pew Bibles, and, we, and Colossians is found on page number 983 in that pew Bible. And we are doing a series that I've entitled The Christ-Centered Life. And the reason we're doing this series is that I've found that many Christians are missing Christ, and often I can be missing Christ. You see, we were created to have Christ at the center of our lives. He was supposed to be the one whom we we would daily relate to. His joy would be the thing that would motivate our obedience. And yet what can often happen is that Christ can be moved to the periphery of our lives. And when he's moved to the periphery of our lives, our Christian faith just becomes theology and rules. It just becomes an ideology, something we believe in, and then just some ethics, some things that we try to do. And so what we're doing is we're studying this book of Colossians to find some principles, and so far we've seen two principles so far, to look for principles for how we can live our lives in more of a Christ-centered way. In the very first week, we looked at verses 3 to 14, and we saw in those verses that a Christ-centered life is a prayer-centered life. If you're going to live a Christ-centered life, you need to be a person devoted to prayer. You need to be someone who's every day, who's communing with God in prayer. And then last week, we saw verses 15 to 23. And we saw that the apostle Paul, he quotes this hymn from the, from the first church, from the early church. And it's a hymn about the supremacy of Christ. And last week, it was really quite awkward as I got you to underline verse 18 as watched as most of you didn't, but I got you to try and underline verse 18 in your Bibles where it says, in all things Christ might be preeminent. Because of the supremacy of Christ, he needs to be preeminent in our lives. He needs to be the first thing in our lives, first in our marriages, first in our finances, first in our dating relationships, first in every part of our lives. And this morning, we are moving on, and we're going to be looking at verses 24 to chapter 2 and verse 7. And whereas in verses 15 to verse 23, Paul talked about the supremacy of Christ, from verses 24 to chapter 2, verse 7, Paul is going to speak about the sufficiency of Christ. So he's just spoken about the supremacy of Christ. Now he's going to speak about the sufficiency of Christ. And yet it's really ironic the way he begins in verse 24. Remember, I just said he's speaking about the sufficiency of Christ. And look how he begins in verse 24. Look down in your Bibles. He begins this way. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. I'm filling up in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. I just said that he's going to speak about the sufficiency of Christ. And yet here he says, I'm filling up in my flesh what I am, what, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, if you really want to send fear into the heart of a preacher or a biblical interpreter, ask them what verse 24 means, because it's a very difficult verse to interpret. What does Paul mean when he says, I am filling up in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? 
Well, the, the term Christ's afflictions there, that can't be referring to the atoning work of Christ. I mean, on the cross, Jesus said, it is, it is finished. That's a bit better. It is finished. The debt has been paid. Christ's work on the cross was sufficient payment for sin. And in context, you'll notice in verse 22, Paul said, he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So there was nothing lacking in Christ's atoning work on our behalf. Then what does he mean by Christ's afflictions here? Well, it's something really beautiful. You see, when you come to Christ, you are not only forgiven of all your sin, but you're brought into union with Jesus. You become one with Jesus and you become part of his body. And so when you suffer, because you're one with Jesus, Jesus suffers. We see this in the conversion of Paul or Saul. We saw that uh, before Paul became a Christian, he was a persecutor of Christians. He would put them to death. He would put them in chains. He was on his way to Damascus. To If he found any Christians, he was going to drag them back to Jerusalem and put them in prison. But on the way to Damascus, Jesus spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? Is that what he said? No, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, to persecute the church is to persecute Jesus because we are one with Jesus. So I think the afflictions of Christ here is the suffering that the church needs to go through in order to present the gospel to the world. And what Paul is saying is Paul is saying, I am filling up in my flesh. I am willing to pay the price for the gospel to go to the nations. That's what he's saying. You see, there will always be a price to pay in preaching the gospel. We would like to think in our Western cushy, you know, church, that if we can just present the gospel relevantly enough and clearly enough and compellingly enough, that everyone would accept it and they would accept us. But the Bible teaches something different. Paul says... He says, to some, we are the aroma of life. You know, my wife has this beautiful perfume. And uh, every time I smell it, it's like the aroma of life to me. There'll be times where she will get up early in the morning before me. Not too often, but sometimes she gets out of bed before me. And uh, and I'll roll over in my bed and uh, and I'll smell her, her perfume on the pillow. And it's like life to me because it reminds me of her. You know, and what will happen in preaching the gospel is that people will respond to Christ. They will see the beauty of Christ. They'll come to him. And in responding to him, they will receive us and accept us. But Paul not only says we will be the aroma of life, he also says to others we will be the aroma of death. About a year ago, um, in our home at night, we we were going to bed and we heard all this rustling up um, up in the ceiling. And we had a rat problem. We had a rat infestation. And so what I did is I called Damien and Damien came and he put some rat traps in the ceiling. And then I also went to Bunnings and I I got some rat sack and I put it up in the ceiling. And sure enough, a few days later, the rustling in the ceiling stopped, but it was replaced by this awful stench. The smell of dead rat. Have you ever, have you ever smelled dead rat before? It is disgusting. It is repulsive, isn't it? And you know, it just was stinking up the whole house. 
Do you know, to some, we will be the aroma of life. To others, we will be the aroma of death. When we present Christ, they will be repulsed by him and they'll reject him. And in rejecting him, they may reject us and we may suffer. You know, one of the things that I do is I I have a Twitter feed. You can follow me on Twitter if you want. I don't do that many tweets, about once every six months. (laughs) I have an interesting thought. But um, I follow other people on Twitter. And uh, on Twitter, I was following this pastor, and he had a list of 21 Christians who right at the moment have been killed by ISIS for their faith. There are Christians right at the moment who are filling up in their bodies the suffering that the church must go through to present Christ to the nations. Paul says, now I rejoice. (laughs) I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister. He, He sees himself as a minister of the church according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Paul saw his ministry as a stewardship, as a responsibility that he'd been given by God to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to declare the the word of God, to make the word of God fully known. And what was he making known? Look down in verse 26, Paul says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. Now, the term mystery here is a key term in this passage. You're gonna see it three times in this passage. We'd see it three times in this passage. And the reason why Paul is using this term mystery is that this was a term that was used by the Colossian false teachers, by the Colossian heretics. You remember in the very first time we spoke, I spoke that what was happening in Colossae was these false teachers were coming in and they were teaching against the deity of Christ and they were teaching that you needed to add something to Jesus. And what they would do is they would come in and they would say, have you heard the mystery? Have you heard the secret yet? Have you heard the secret? Have you heard the mystery? And maybe Paul writes verse 24 because what they were doing is they were coming in and saying, you know, Paul, he's always in prison. He's always suffering. He's always suffering for the gospel. He's always going through hardship. And that is because he doesn't know the mystery. He doesn't know the secret. Do you know the secret yet? Do you know what is lacking In Christ, you've got Christ, but let me tell you what is lacking. Let me tell you the something extra that you need that will unlock fullness of spiritual experience. You know what it is? You need to keep the Sabbath. If you keep the Sabbath, that will unlock it. You need to follow the food laws. If you follow the food laws, that will unlock it. You you need to have mystical experiences. You need to have visions. And be translated into heaven where you worship with the angels. And then you'll be unlocked. And then you'll be just like us. Spiritual elite. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. You know, I was, I was listening to a sermon by Josh Harris on this, um, on this, on this passage. And he was saying he, he went to a conference once. And at this Christian conference, there was these three levels to the conference. The first level of the conference is you could just pay anything you wanted and you'd get to go to the conference. So you could go to the conference for free. You could just just go to the conference. It didn't matter. 
You just got to go to the conference. That was the general admission to the conference. But then there was another level to the conference. It was called experience. If you paid a premium, you not only got to go to the conference, but you got free books and you got to go to the concert on the last night of the conference. It's pretty good, isn't it? So there was general admission, experience. But then there was the third level of the conference. You know what that was? Experience plus. Experience plus. Not only did you get the books and you get to go to the conference and you get to go to the concert, but you got to meet the conference speakers in this special little thing. Wow. Now, who wants just general admission to the conference? None of us. We all want experience plus, don't we? You see, this is why this false teaching was so attractive. Because we don't just want to be average, we want experience plus. We want that thing that will unlock it for us. Now, notice what Paul says. He says, there is a mystery. But notice in verse 26, he says, I, my job is to make the word of God fully known. And notice that this mystery is revealed to who? To all the saints, all the saints. And what is the mystery? Look down in verse 27. To them, that's all the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. This mystery is a glorious mystery, Paul says. It is a fantastic mystery. Now, when he uses the word mystery, what he he is meaning is he is meaning something that in the New Testament is revealed that wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. Now, what is it? Look down in verse 27. The glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, what wasn't revealed in the Old Testament was that the Christ, the Messiah, would be in you. In the Old Testament, it was revealed that the Christ would suffer. It was revealed that the Christ would set up his eternal kingdom. But it was not revealed that the Christ would be in you. You see, the mystery isn't religion. The mystery isn't rules. The mystery isn't mystical experiences. The mystery, Paul says, that all the saints have had proclaimed to them is that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. You have sufficiency in Christ. And notice what he says in verse 28. Him we proclaim. That is why we proclaim Christ. You see, Christ is the answer to all of your problems. There are some people here today and you are struggling with loneliness. Guess what the answer is? It isn't religion. It isn't rules. It isn't mystical experience. It is Christ. He is the answer. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Some of you here are suffering this morning. You know what the answer is? It isn't rules. It isn't religion. It isn't mystical experiences. It is Christ. He will give you peace and joy in the midst of your suffering. I love what Paul Tripp says. He says, Christianity isn't a system of redemption. Christianity is about a great redeemer. It's about a person. You see, what we do in our counseling ministry is we doesn't, we don't just take you into a room, try and work out what's wrong with you, and then try and give you some good advice. You know what we do? Is we try and lead you to the great redeemer. We try and lead you to Jesus, the great healer who can help you. Him we proclaim. Every single Sunday, what you're going to hear from this pulpit is Jesus, 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 and more Jesus. If you don't like Jesus, don't come back because that's what you're going to hear. 
All right, you're going to hear Jesus, 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 Jesus. Now notice what Paul says in verse 28. He says, him we proclaim, warning who? Everyone. And teaching who? Everyone with all wisdom. It's not just for some spiritual elite. It's for everyone. And what's Paul's goal? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. You see, what has happened in the history of the church is we are always trying to set up different levels of Christianity. That you have the average Christians, and then you have this other level of you have the disciples. If you are a Christian, you are a disciple, all right? That's the truth of the Bible. You're a Christian, you're a disciple. We also, we also set it up like this, you know, you have average Christians, and then you have those who are fully consecrated to Christ. Rubbish! Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, if you want to follow me, you know what the cost is? You need to, what is it? Take up your cross and follow me. There's a radical high bar, minimum bar for everyone. You know, another one is like, is, is this one. And I don't want to be offensive to anyone who comes from this tradition, but I'm just going to say it. Spirit baptism. That there are average Christians and that there are those Christians who have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, no. <laughs> the hope of glory is Christ in you. And our goal is to preach him so that everyone may become mature in Christ. Now get this. While there aren't different levels of Christians, there are different ages of Christians. And that's a different thing. I was thinking about it this week. How, how powerful is this? Is that when you were born physically, you were born that with everything you would need for your life, if you were born in a healthy way. You were born with everything that you would need for your life. You were born with your legs so that you could walk. You were born with a tongue and a mouth so you could speak. You were born with a brain so you could think. You were born with everything that you would need the moment of your birth. It was just a question of growing and learning how to walk, growing and learning how to talk, growing and learning how to think. And did you know this? The moment you became a Christian, you were given everything you would need for life and godliness. You don't need something extra. There is nothing extra that you need. You just need to learn how to mature in Christ and you need to learn how to walk with Christ. You need to learn how to talk. You need to learn how to think. This is what you need to do. And the way the church should work is the church should work like this. Just as, just as it works like this in life is that mature adults look after babies and infants and teenagers. This is how it should work in the church. The more mature Christians should look after the babies, should look after the infants and help them grow to maturity. Look down in verse 29. Paul says, for this I toil. This means he works to the point of exhaustion. This is what his ministry is about. Preaching Christ, helping people to come to maturity in Christ. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for all those at Laodicea. Paul um, Epaphras had not only planted the church at Colossae, he'd also planted the church at Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love, to reach, notice this, all the riches of full assurance, of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden, notice this, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What is the burden of Paul as the pastor of these people? His burden is that they would recognize that they have sufficiency in Christ. Is that they would recognize that in Christ, 
all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found, that they would come to full assurance. The word assurance means that they would come to a recognition that they have everything they need in Christ already. That's the burden of this pastor. And that's the burden of my, of my heart for you. That you don't need anything extra. That you've got Christ. You've got the hope of glory. You've got Christ in you. That's what you've got. It's awesome. And then he says, I say this, verse 4, that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. You see, Paul knew that what can happen in churches is that people can come into churches and they come with these plausible arguments and seek to lead people astray. Now, they don't come in with ridiculous, stupid arguments. I mean, if you're in your your real life group and, and someone turns to you and says, hey, you know, Jesus was a girl named Jessie who lived in the 1800s. You're going to go, you're an idiot. And you're not going to be led astray by that. But there are people who will come into churches and they'll say things like that, like this. You know, we really need to keep the Sabbath as Christians. I mean, I mean the Old Testament in the, in the Ten Commandments, it says you should keep the Sabbath as an eternal ordinance. Why aren't you keeping the Sabbath? The problem with the church today is it doesn't keep the Sabbath. It worships on Sunday instead of on Saturday. It's a plausible argument. You, you need to follow the food laws. You need to not eat pork. And I've seen people come in with this false teaching and these plausible arguments that they put forward that are false arguments and they lead others astray. And Paul says in verse 5, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Apparently, the church at Colossae hadn't been led astray. They were still firm in Christ. Now we come to verse 6. Therefore... Now, I want you to write in the margin of your Bible, key verse, all right? Key verse. This here, verse 6, is the key hinge verse around which all of the book of Colossians revolves. Therefore, therefore, on the basis of everything that I've been saying about the sufficiency of Christ, that Christ is in you, that it's him who we proclaim, that in him are all the riches and treasures of knowledge, Because of that, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord? How did you receive Jesus? Well, if you're a Christian, the way you received Jesus is you recognized that before a holy God, you came up short. That in the eyes of the holy God, you were under his judgment. And then you recognized that Christ had sufficiently paid for your debt for sin and you turned in faith and you trusted in Christ's sufficiency. And so Paul is saying, just as you trusted, get this young people, come on, wake up, get this, this is important. Just as you trusted in Christ for your sufficiency for salvation, you need to continue to trust in Christ for your sufficiency for your life. You see, what I've found is that many Christians, what they do is they pray the sinner's prayer and they trust in Jesus for salvation, but then they move in their life to rules and religions and seeking, seeking other experiences. But Paul is saying, no, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord by faith, trusting in his sufficiency, you are now to continue to walk the Christian life by faith, trusting in the sufficiency of Christ. And Paul uses four words. He uses four words 
to back that up, look, look at the first word in verse 7, underline it in your Bible. Number one, rooted, rooted. The word rooted comes from an agricultural metaphor. A tree has roots that go deep down into the ground and it draws up its moisture from the ground. And just as a tree has these roots that go deep into the ground, you need the roots of your life to go deep down into Christ. And just as above the surface, your tree will never grow strong above the surface unless it has deep roots underneath the surface, you will never grow as a Christian unless your roots are growing deep down into Christ. Unless you're getting your identity from Christ, unless you're getting your security from Christ, unless you're getting your strength from Christ, unless your, your roots are deep down into Christ. So you need to be rooted in Christ. Second word, built up in him. Underline that in your Bible, built up in him. You know, many Christians don't understand who they are in Christ. They don't understand the riches that they have in Jesus. And we need to be built up in Jesus. We can never hear too much about Jesus and what he's done for us and the greatness of the gifts that he's given us. And we need to be built up in him if we are going to continue to walk in him and trust in his sufficiency. Third word, established in the faith just as you were taught. This established is something that is done to you. It's a passive verb. We all need people to establish us in the faith, to teach us the faith. That's why our real life groups are important. That's why if you haven't done the Discovering Faith course, you should do that course in this church so that you can be built up in your faith and you can be established in your faith. And the final word is abounding in thanksgiving. The word abounding, this word, it comes from, uh, it was used of rivers when rivers were flooded and the water would go over the banks, they would overflow the banks. This is the word that was used. They would overflow or abound over the banks. And so Paul is saying we need to be overflowing with thanksgiving. You know, thanksgiving is so important because when we thank God, we are not focusing on what we lack. We are focusing on what we have, the riches that we have been given. You know, in my prayer life, I used to follow the acts. Do you know what the acts are? Do you know what the acts are? Who here follows the acts in your prayer life? So the first one is A, what's that? Adoration. C is confession. T is thanksgiving, S is supplication or asking God for stuff. And so, but what I found is, is when I used to follow that, an acronym in my prayer life, what I found is that I would never get past the C, the confession, because I just get caught up in all my sin and I'm such a sinner that I'd never get past it. And so what I did, I don't know if you're allowed to do this, but I took the T and I moved it in front of the C because in the Psalms, we read this, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will come to God focusing on him and what he's done for me, abounding in thanksgiving. Robert Murray McChain used to say, for every one look at yourself, you need to take 10 looks to Jesus, 10 look at, looks at the cross. You see, and this is my point today. If you want to live the Christ-centered life, who wants to live a Christ-centered life? All right, you want to live a Christ-centered life? Yep, some of you are very timid. But if you want to live a Christ-centered life, principle number one, it needs to be a prayer-centered life. Principle number two, you need to put Christ first. Principle number three, you need to trust Christ 
for his sufficiency in all things, in all things. The thing that you were dealing with this week in your work, trust Christ, trust Christ in that. The struggle that you were having this week, trust Christ with that. You know, there's this great Christian from last century called Major Ian Thomas. Major Ian Thomas was a preacher and a pastor. And early on in his life, he found that he was really struggling because he was living his Christian life in his own strength. And he reflected on passages like this one, verse 27, that Christ is in you. Chapter 3, verse 4, Christ, who is my life. Galatians 2, verse 20, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And do you know what he realized? He realized that while he had trusted in Christ for his salvation, he was not trusting in Christ for his ongoing life. And so he got down on his knee and he said, Jesus, by faith, just as I've received you as my savior, I now receive you as my life. I want you to live your life in me. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And Major Ian Thomas, he used to have this saying, it went like this, you can't. He never said you could, but he can. And he always said he would. You know, you can't live the Christian life in your own strength. He never promised that you could live the Christian life in your own strength, but he can. And he always said he would. The great mystery of the Christian, Christian faith that's revealed to all the saints is not rules, it's not religion, it's not mystical experiences. It is that Christ is in you, living his life through you. And so the Christian life is a life lived, trusting day by day in the sufficiency of Christ. I struggle with it. You struggle with it. We all struggle with it. But verse 29 should be what we aim for. For this I toil. I work to the point of exhaustion. Struggling hard at times with all his energy that so powerfully works within me. I don't know. I don't know. Have you ever experienced the power of God working your life? Giving you the strength when you're at the bottom? Have you ever experienced God doing things in you, giving you what you need when you just cannot continue? Now, it's been my experience that God has to bring me to the end of myself so that I'll recognize his sufficiency in my life and recognize that the Christian life is about him living his life through me. And I think there's a lot of people in this room, you, there's nothing what I'm saying this morning is new to you. You've heard this sermon a million times before. But maybe, maybe what, what has happened is Christ is no longer at the center of your life. Christ is no longer the goal. His preeminency in your life is no longer the goal. 
And Christ is no longer the source. He's no longer the one who you're looking to for sufficiency. And you can't. He never said you could. You won't be able to live the Christian life this week in your own strength. But he can, and he always said he would. He'll live it through you. If by faith you trust him for sufficiency. And it's difficult at times. It's a struggle, as Paul said. It's difficult at times, but it's the way to live the Christian life. It's the way it is. It's the way it is. Father, we come to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what it teaches us about Christ. That he is sufficient, not just for our salvation, but he's sufficient for the people who this morning found it hard to get out of bed. He's sufficient for the people who this week found it hard to deal and cope and were overwhelmed with all the, the things in their life. He's sufficient for the people in this place who are struggling with their singleness. Father, we thank you for Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would all grow to maturity in Christ, that we would learn to trust him in moment by moment, day by day, and that trust would be demonstrated in obedience in our lives. Oh, Father, we need your help in this. We need your help in this. We're so weak. But I pray, I pray this morning, Father, that you would speak to people and help them to respond to you and help them to respond to this word in Jesus' name.